I'm here with Gauri Sharma, a fellow at Project Second Chance in Delhi, India, a fellowship program for exceptional leaders who are passionate about the reformation, rehabilitation and reintegration of incarcerated youth in prisons in India. We will hear more from Gauri about the Second Chance Fellowship Program shortly. I first met Gauri when I was at Penal Reform International in London in 2019. Gauri's research and passions focuses on the rehabilitation of people in prison and she has published her PhD on Rehabilitation of Prisoners, a case study of selected prisons in India from Delhi University. Gauri, welcome to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you so much. And it's uh, great again connecting with you. Firstly, just really to, to, to introduce yourself um, to our listeners, please just to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and I guess what motivated you to work in the human rights field. So, yeah, hi, I'm Gauri and I'm from Delhi, India. I'll just take a step back and I'll talk that when I was in school, uh, I don't know, for some reason, I was always like very inquisitive, uh, you know, to uh, understand that why are these people behind bars? And slowly I started growing up and how it is that, you know, when you're in your, uh, when you're in your teens and then you become, uh, you start going to college and everything. So you start running behind uh, certain things. And I thought, okay, I should do a management course. There's more stability in life and uh, I'll easily settle down and everything. But anyhow, I did my psychology honors from Delhi University. And in that, I specialized in organizational behavior. But somehow, I could never uh, click with organizational behavior. But I thoroughly enjoyed uh, my psychology. From there, I went on uh, to doing my special education. And uh, I felt like uh, totally connected in that field, like working with people with disability, with children with special needs. Uh, I wanted to study my master's in social work. And luckily, I got uh, through TISS Mumbai. And over there, I did my social work. And further on, there was a course over there. It was on uh, criminology and uh, rehabilitation. So I specialized in that in my second and fourth semester. But after I got graduated, you know, it's like reality comes into place. And at that time, when I got graduated in 2008, not many organizations were working in this field. And uh, there were very limited opportunities. So I went ahead. I start, I worked in different, different fields in education. I worked in child rights, on child labor. But somehow I was always like, you know, no, I want to like, I want to study criminology. I want to work in the prison area. And that's when I did my uh, MPhil. And my thesis was on children of prisoners. Uh, from there on, I applied for my PhD, and I've done my PhD on rehabilitation of prisoners. Uh, during this time, I uh, worked also uh, with another organization called Global March on Child Labor. And after that, I started working with uh, TICIA, which is Turn Your Concern Into Action, TICIA Foundation. And over there, uh, through uh, Second Chance Fellowship, I've got an opportunity to start working inside the prisons. So, yeah. So that's a, a really interesting route. And I, I suspect that, you know, having the, 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 the social work background certainly um, put you in a good place to, to move into the prison reform and, and penal reform area. Yes, yes, totally. I mean, I uh, feel that 
studying social work was absolutely like a very good decision and uh, on top of it it just gave me a very different perspective uh, you know also with that uh, when you're studying social work and when you're in like you're studying in a college so the university that we were in and it was like a bubble for us where we just felt that once we're going to move out of our uh, campus we are going to go about making changes and you know we are just going to reach over there where you see where things are talked about Nelson Mandela and other uh, human rights activists who are doing such brilliant work but once you step into the field that's when you know reality strikes and i think uh, that's where my education sort of helped me out you know to become more adaptable and to accept and also to move ahead and whatever uh, field that i worked in i never feel that you know oh my god uh, i sort of wasted my first few years of my life and i should have just moved into uh, criminology because i was always so passionate about it mm-hmm. i feel that it was a good decision that i explored so many different areas and it was like a learning opportunity for me and when now i am uh, finally like working hands on inside the prison and i'm uh, you know totally like uh, dedicated to my field i can feel the glimpses of all my learnings coming into play uh, when i do my work now that, that's so, really yeah. that's great to hear that you know that, that that it has contributed so meaningfully to to the work that you're doing now and perhaps you can just share a little bit more about what, what you are well who is the second chance fellowship and and what they actually do because it's a it's a human rights organization right on the ground right at the sort of sharp end working with um a vulnerable community of people in prison but it would be great to hear more just about the the program and and your engagement so uh at present i'm working uh, with turn your concern into action it's known as tisia foundation and it started in 2011 uh, our founder's name is mr mohit raj and our co-founder is sachi marwa and when they both had started they started working on education for children and slowly over the years you know uh, they started expanding into other fields in 2017 uh, they got an opportunity to work uh, in tihar uh, prison and i joined the organization in 2018 and i joined it through the second chance fellowship so basically this fellowship is like a 12 months fellowship in which uh, the focus is on reformation uh, rehabilitation and reintegration of prisoners uh, they work inside uh, tihar jail which is in delhi they work inside tihar jail number 5 where we work with inmates young inmates who are between the age group of 18 to 21 years of age so basically this fellowship uh, gives you know all uh, the human rights activists or anyone who's passionate to work uh, on prison uh, reforms an opportunity you know to get involved in it so yeah so it's like it's in this 12 months of a uh, uh, fellowship you uh, they provide you mentoring and uh, the initial few months is like uh, they help you to explore to understand the field and slowly and steadily as you know you've set your ground you know what the functioning of the organization is about because again uh, like you know in tisia so i have worked with a few organizations earlier but then working in tisia was also a very different experience because it's it's a flat organization and uh, it doesn't follow the the usual uh, protocols of how you know other places are so it's like everybody is you know involved in the decision making everybody's uh, involved in the smallest to the biggest uh, tasks that we are doing 
So it's it's really interesting over here, uh, you know, when you're working over here. So it's very important to even understand the organization that you're working with. It's a very informal setup. So yeah, so the first few months is basically to understand the organization, the culture, the work that's happening. And then uh, post uh, six months, uh, you basically come up with a project that you want to work on. So like, suppose I'll just give you an example. There's a colleague of mine who uh, wanted to work on the curriculum for the prison inmates. And at present, uh, she's already designed a curriculum. Uh, it's, uh, you know, at the initial stages of a pilot study and everything. And this educational curriculum is, uh, you know, it focuses on not just the youth inmates, but also on like gender-based violence. How can one uh, help in reducing that through the curriculum? So that was her calling. For me, on the other hand, I because my PhD was on rehabilitation of prisoners, I wanted to work in this uh, field and I wanted to like whatever theoretical knowledge I had, I wanted to put it into action and see that, you know, uh, what is the reality? What are the loopholes? What are the challenges that one uh, gets? So then I started working uh, in that. Post your 12 months of your fellowship, uh, the Enticia Foundation sort of supports you as an incubation center. So that's how uh, the project Second Chance uh, works. It's, it's, it sounds wonderful. And doing, you know, there's a really meaningful work on the ground there and, and helping um, people in prison um, in terms of, of helping them with opportunities going forward and, and, and hopefully sort of stopping that um, cycle of, of returning to, to prison again. And, and I suppose what you set out there brings me on to my question around sort of what, what skills and qualities do you think that you need to work in the human rights field? The first and foremost is, uh, you know, that you have to be very open. You have to be very adaptable. Mm -hmm. uh, you might not approve of a lot of things, but you should be able to, you know, accept uh, things, especially when you're working uh, with human beings. I, I would definitely agree with you on that there, because, you know, you, you don't quite know what issues you're going to be dealing with and, and you should go with a, an open mind and an open heart in that respect. And I suppose uh, alongside that, aligned to that is, is this issue of further study, because you have both an MPhil and a PhD. Do you think that to work in the human rights sector, you, you need to have advanced degrees, be it masters and, and upwards? Or do you think that it's possible to, to work in the human rights sector um, with a, a bachelor's and undergraduate degree? How important is that advanced study, do you think? Uh, so, yeah, so I think um, I don't want to sound very biased because like I've done my uh, yeah, MPhil and my PhD. But yes, I mean, uh, I'm not denying the fact that what you learn from the field is like far greater and far enriching. But I also feel that, you know, I mean, uh, from your bachelor's, when you move into a very intense kind of a field, sometimes uh, it's not about uh, your maturity, but also like your perception. Sometimes, you know, I mean, uh, that uh, can sometimes uh, hinder in whatever work that you are doing. Definitely once you've done your master's, you know, you have like, uh, you have more experience. Also, uh, your emotional uh, maturity also tends to develop more. So if just to give you an example, you know, like um, from my personal experience is that when I was in my bachelor's and, you know, even during my initial years of my master's, for me, it was like, I cannot work with a person who's committed sexual assault and especially on a child. So for me, that was like, I just don't think I can do that. 
And somehow when I was doing my MPhil, uh, you know, and then when I started doing my PhD and because my PhD was directly linked with working with the uh, inmates who were inside the prison and who were released and many of them, yes, were, there were charges on them of sexual offenses. I saw that my, uh, the way I would like talk to them and uh, the way we would interact had changed over the years. My perception changed that, okay, here is a human being. He might or he might not have done this offense. And at the same time, uh, you know, whatever has happened, I mean, yes, it's not excusable. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm not approving of his behavior and his actions, but I'm accepting him as a person. And I'm ready that, okay, if he wants to give himself a second chance, I am there to support him, you know, in whatever capacity I have, I'm not going to overpromise. So yeah, I think somehow, uh, when you do your higher studies, and especially when you're specializing, uh, you know, it, it sort of helps you out, it sort of opens up your vision, your thinking. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm inclined to agree there. I think it kind of helps you develop your critical thinking skills. Um, and also, I think there's something around that the actual practical side, the job market now, when you look at advertisements for human rights jobs, they will invariably or very often ask for now an advanced degree, be it a master's in human rights or public international law. Is, is that your sort of sense as well? Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, this is like the usual thing, that like a minimum of a master's degree. If you go into more specialized roles, then yeah, they do look for other, like you've done your MPhil, or if you want to get into a teaching profession, then they look for a PhD. Yes, so, if you're looking at going down the academic route, I think most definitely a PhD is, is what is re- required. Yeah, also, uh, you know, I mean, again, this is just based on my experience, uh, especially after doing your bachelor's, you know, uh, it, it's good to work. I'm not saying one should not. I think it's it's uh, it's good to work. And I see so many uh, nowadays, all these younger, I mean, I'm not going to call them like kids, but I see all these, the, the younger population, they are like into doing a lot of internship, volunteering more than what I think our, my generation would have done. So, you know, that's that's really commendable that, you know, they are there to explore, to understand. That, that, that's really valid. And you mentioned there about internships. And I think there's a big discussion now about people who want to start out in the human rights sector doing these internships, many of which are unpaid. And there's a whole issue around, around that as well. But I think that's a very common routine is, is an internship or some sort of pro bono opportunity there. And it'd be interesting to know what you th- what you think about that, whether you think it's a, a valid way in, whether there's value to, to individuals taking internship programs. I personally feel like, uh, you know, working in this field, that A, yes, internships uh, should definitely be paid. Uh, I am of a, this very strong view. I know many people might not uh, agree with it. When you're in the development sector, if you're like, if you call yourself a social worker, it's not a charity, it's a profession. And, you know, when you're putting in everything, it's it's a passion. You're dedicated to that field. So definitely, like, people do look for a certain kind of a remuneration. But at the same time, uh, I don't think so. It's fair that we start comparing uh, whatever we earn with other professions. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying, yes, some sort of remuneration must be given. And so, A, yes, it puts in a bit of a seriousness and more professionalism. And we are no longer uh, functioning on the charity mode. Social work is a profession these days. 
So I, I feel that, yes, it should be paid. And uh, secondly, I definitely feel that, you know, uh, internships do add a lot of value to your work experience. And uh, further on, one would see, because, you know, especially when you're doing your internships, you have a lot of freedom. Like you can, you can explore, you can make mistakes. Uh, the great part is that you're not really accountable for a lot of things. So there's, you're not carrying like a heavy burden on your shoulder that, oh my God, if this doesn't work out, it's totally on you. So I think that's sort of like, uh, you know, gives you that freedom and you enjoy doing whatever you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And I think, I think you make some really valid, valid points there around sort of the, the remuneration and payment point for internships. And I think there's a, a real movement now for that, but um, equally also the, the value that it can, can give you and the, how it can enrich your, your career. As you're starting out, you're finding your feet in the human rights world, meeting people. It gives you great contacts in the human rights world as well. Um, if I can just move on to kind of a little bit more for the, focusing on your on your own career, what, what would you say has been the highlight or highlights of your career to date? And, and you know, you've talked to us a little bit about what you've done, but what's been the real highlight for you so far? So, uh, yeah, there have been like many, but if I just talk about the recent ones is, uh, I mean, this year I am waiting, uh, like I've recently like uh, submitted my uh, PhD uh -huh. and I'm just like, because of the COVID situation, everything has got delayed. So I think the highlight for me was will be when I officially get my degree in my hand. So that would be a big highlight because, uh, yeah, I mean, I've put all my heart and soul in my PhD and uh, I hold it really close to me. Uh, the second highlight for me would be like, uh, I'll just like uh, talk a little bit about my uh, project that I am doing through uh, Project Second Chance Fellowship. So basically like uh, uh, during my fellowship, uh, I had mentioned that I wanted to work in the field of rehabilitation. So a few colleagues of mine, uh, you know, during their work had found out that uh, when the uh, inmates move out into the community, they face certain challenges, such as uh, they face challenges in employment, in legal aid, shelter, clothing, food, mental health. So I wanted to take a lead on that and I wanted to like further work in it with the help of my other colleagues. And uh, we then created this booklet, which is called Kunji. And uh, we are now in the process of creating an interface, uh, which is uh, a helpline. So we have already, we already have a toll-free helpline. And how this functions is that uh, if you have like, if you know of Just Dial services, so basically like uh, a released prisoner would call up on the toll-free number and he or she would just say that, okay, I've got released from the prison. I am somewhere in South Delhi and I need help in shelter. So through our toll-free number and through with the help of our interface, we would uh, then send them an SMS of all the organizations in South Delhi and uh, to whom they can reach out to. So this is like a very, uh, yes, it's a very need-based model that, you know, that has been created and uh, we are still in the process of launching it. So yeah, so the highlight would be the day we launch it because I, I personally feel that whatever I've been uh, studying for, uh, you know, uh, for so many years, especially since 2012, I've been in the field of uh, criminology and uh, I'll finally get to see that, you know, whatever your theories and your writings and everything, how does it shape up once it hits the ground? So I think, yeah, that, that would be like a big highlight for me. 
Um, networking is a very important skill. And, and I know for me, it's something that often feels a little bit counterintuitive to go out and network and to, to, to tell people about who I am, what I do in the human rights world. But I, I think it's very important as a skill to have. And, you know, for those who are listening and who are thinking about working in the sector, again, what do you think about that whole networking piece? Uh, so, yes, I mean, I feel that networking is very essential when you're working in the human rights field. And also, uh, you know, it tends to give you a lot of opportunities. If you meet the right people, uh, it helps you open up a lot of paths. So for me, uh, you know, definitely uh, through my education, I think uh, I have formed really good networks. I've met with amazing people uh, who have really like helped and guided me. Uh, in the right direction. Uh, secondly, uh, I think all the young professionals who are wanting to work in the human rights, uh, if you like even attending a lot of conferences, a lot of seminars, participating in them, even though they might not be very directly linked with your work, but just participating, being over there, you tend to meet a lot of people. And, uh, you know, reading again helps a lot. So I think um, even with you, Vicky, I just got connected. I read about your organization. I heard about your organization. And that's how we got connected. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think it's been more than two or three years that we've been connected. Similarly, like uh, during my uh, PhD thesis uh, in the field, also like uh, the communities that I have worked with. So it's not just uh, these seminars and the conferences that help you but also the community work that I do with, that's where I build, uh, you know, my, uh, this true sense of networking. So when I go into the community, I talk to uh, different, different people, be it released prisoner, be it a prison, prisoner who's inside the prison, or be it their families. And that also helps uh, me to build on my work. It's really, it's important there. And I definitely take your point about attending conferences and just being in the room, being visible, asking questions, and um, you know, you're meet, meeting the right people in your space in your particular area. So there's a really valid point there. And now in these COVID times, there are lots of webinars that we can attend online. And okay, it's not quite being in the room, but at least you're sort of connecting with the people who are the the, the key sort of voices in your sector. Um, so networking can happen in lots of different ways and lots of different spaces, but I, I genuinely believe it's a very valuable thing to do. So my final question is, um, as you know, this podcast is for those people who are thinking about a human rights career, not entirely sure, um, but looking at it as a possibility. What really is the best piece of advice that you can offer to anyone who is starting out in the human rights career now that you're in it and you're working in it? What, what's the best piece of advice? Okay, so... <laughs> oh, advice. Tricky question. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Again, I'll just, I'll, I'll just talk from my experience. I just feel that, I mean, if you feel passionate about something and, uh, I mean, if you feel that you're not getting that opportunity right now, as we've discussed, you know, like you can get into volunteering uh you can like uh during your uh, student life you have a lot of opportunities to do your internships so you can do that and at the same time uh, the reality is sometimes you know when you're doing your volunteering work or when you're doing your internship you feel that okay you know like say for example education is not my cup of tea i'm not enjoying it so i think that's uh that's the luxury that you get when you can do your internships and you 
kind of uh, get this clarity that okay this issue is something that i don't want to do it so you can then further uh, explore other fields at the same time i feel that it's it's very important to uh, read a lot you know uh, because yes i agree that uh, like what i said that the work that you do on the field it really builds up on your skills and it's it's very very important and i think maximum of uh, my learning and for most people who are working in the human rights our learning has been from our field work but at the same time i feel that you know uh, reading more or uh, studying more about uh, whichever issue that you know you want to work on it sort of uh, helps you develop a very uh, a very different way of thinking of what we call is your perception is your attitude your language and when you're working as in the human rights your body language is like really really important so you know uh, it gives you like a perfect blend if you work as well as if you like read up on it but yeah this would be my uh, suggestion okay so so um, as a sort of final thought it's really reading and studying doing the work and, and networking and, and those together as a good place to start i think in terms of yeah um, and also yeah and also like being not afraid of taking afraid of uh, risks and challenges because uh, i think it's perfectly okay if one doesn't have a plan it's perfectly okay one feels that oh my god uh, i don't have any structure in life because i think sometimes you know having that chaos is really important and especially uh, you know when you're just starting out uh, having a chaos in your life not knowing what's happening being confused i think these are the true like you know they call us nowadays aqs and eqs and the adversity quotient i think this is what really helps out uh, you know when you reach a later stage in your life where you know that okay i want to be committed to a kind of an issue Yeah, this would be. I like think I, I like that having chaos is really important because I feel that's a little bit what my life is like at the moment now, even twenty four years down the line. But definitely, so I think not quite knowing where you're going and and trying lots of different areas actually until you find your passion, until you find where your heart lies in the human rights field. I think is no bad thing at all. Yes, truly. Gauri, thank you so much for your time and for for sharing with us your your own career and your sort of pearls of wisdom and advice for the listeners of this podcast. And um, yeah, no, thank you for for taking time out. Thank you so much, Vicky. Thank you uh, for again giving me an opportunity to speak about uh, my area of passion. Thanks for listening to the Passion Factor: Pursuing a Career in Human Rights. If you like what you've heard. Please feel free to follow us on Human Rights Pulse on Twitter at Pulse Human or Instagram on Human Rights Pulse. If you'd like to know more about me, Vicky Praise, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Vicky Praise, on LinkedIn or my website vickypraise.com. I'm always looking for interesting guests with a story to tell about their own human rights journey. If that's you, please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you.